Welcome to The Drum Shuffle, a podcast offering insights, perspectives, and conversations for drummers. I'm your host, Jamie Eads. Hey, how's it going out there, everybody? Welcome to the Drum Shuffle. Jamie Eads joining you as I do each and every week. This is episode 111. I hope everybody's having a fantastic week out there. Uh, we're having a great week over here at the Drum Shuffle. Of course, we uh, we all got some sad news today as I record this intro. Uh, the great Eddie Van Halen uh, has passed away after a long battle with cancer and I know I speak for everybody within my musical circle. Um, you know, even though I'm a drummer, uh, the greatness of Eddie Van Halen as a guitarist is uh, it just can't be put into words. Uh, so I have re-recorded this intro uh, because in my interview today, I did make mention of Van Halen. And of course, uh, that was, you know, several uh, weeks ago before this news broke. So uh, my condolences go out to the Van Halen family and all of Eddie's many, many devoted fans. We have a fantastic episode today, and I don't say this lightly. It may be um, the the best interview I've ever conducted on this podcast. Um, and we've had a lot of great ones, uh, but this one was so much fun. I can't wait for you guys to hear uh, the conversation I had with our guest, Harry Myrie, right after this message from our sponsor, Lost Cabos Drumsticks. The best kept secret for drummers is finally out. Lost Cabos Drumsticks may look like the sticks you grew up with, but these are not your father's drumsticks. Lost Cabos Drumsticks is Canada's number one drumstick brand, and they are coming to a retailer near you. With operations in over 28 countries worldwide, thousands of drummers have already discovered the Lost Cabos difference. Using FSC certified wood from Canada and the US, Lost Cabos make the finest quality drumsticks, percussion tools, and accessories on the market. The best news, Lost Cabos Drumsticks offers you a ton of choice. They have 22 individual drumstick models and 14 percussion tools, many of which are available in three different wood types, maple, white hickory, and red hickory. Red hickory comes from the center or heart of the hickory tree and has been independently proven to be both stronger and more elastic than white hickory without adding a lot of weight. While most drumstick manufacturers have shunned red hickory, Lost Cabos Drumsticks has embraced it, becoming the only established stick brand in the world to offer a full line of red hickory drumsticks. To learn more about Lost Cabos Drumsticks, visit them online at lostcabosdrumsticks.com, follow them on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and don't forget to ask for Lost Cabos Drumsticks at your favorite retailer. Dare to be different. Join the Red Hickory Revolution with Lost Cabos Drumsticks. All right, guys and girls, as I mentioned, we have a great episode today. Uh, I am joined by Harry Myrie, and Harry is just such a wonderful guy. Um, just a, a sense of humor that won't stop. Very thoughtful, uh, an incredible drummer, uh, a wonderful content creator. 
Uh, if you're not familiar with Harry's work, get hip. I mean, you really do need to get hip. Um, he's just so thoughtful and funny. And, you know, when I reached out to Harry and asked him to come on the show, he was immediately, dude, let's do it. Set a time, I'll be there. And we just had a great conversation and it covers a lot of really good stuff. Uh, I, I sincerely think that this is one of the most well-rounded interviews we've ever conducted. And that is all to the credit of Harry for uh, just coming on and being an open book. Again, if you're not hip to him, harrymyrie.com. Check all of his great videos out on YouTube. I promise you will learn a ton. You will laugh your tails off. Uh, just such a great guy. I know you're going to get a lot out of this. So please help me welcome to the drum shuffle, Harry Myrie. Harry, dude, how are you? Good morning, my dude. Uh, absolutely. Um, how's it going, man? Thanks for taking time to come on the drum shuffle. We appreciate it. Uh, I, you know, I sit around on the drum shuffle all the time anyway, so I may as well get in here and run my mouth, man. <laughs> well, good. I'm, I'm glad you're listening. That, that makes my heart warm. It, it makes me all warm and fuzzy inside. Um, for, for those listeners who don't know Harry, um, you know, and, and the reason I greeted you with dude, that has kind of become your thing, your, your calling card. Um, you know, I, and I want to say right off the bat, if somebody's not familiar with you, they need to go to harrymyrie.com and check out your wonderful, wonderful content that you create. Your YouTube videos are very poignant and hilarious and says everything that we all think. I think, does that make any sense? Uh, thank you, Jamie. I, uh, w when I started, I thought this is a conversation between me and myself, but th what's made me keep going is th that people hear it and they resonate and they go, dude, that's what I thought about Cajones too. And so uh, it, it brings people together, man. It makes me feel less alone and I'm glad it makes you feel less alone, man. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome, man. It's, you know, and, and that's, that's how I, you know, you came onto my radar and this has probably been, I don't know, you probably made that video two or three years ago now, but it was one of those things where somebody was asking about, you know, should I go do this gig where I play a cajon? And I, you know, just in the rabbit hole that YouTube is, I had come across your video and I'll get the name wrong, but you titled the video, but what if I don't, want to play a cajon dude, right? Perfect. Is that okay? All right. So you basically went through and said, you know, lots of, you know, singer songwriter types gigs in Nashville, and I don't want to play a cajon. They suck. And I agree with that, you know, wholeheartedly. But you went through the whole process of how you kind of came up with a little small, super portable kit that you could go out and play on these gigs without having to resort to playing a cajon for two hours. And I shared that video with somebody and, and I was just like, man, this dude's got it figured out. So, uh, so that's how you came into my life as it were. What an honor, man. Thank you. Uh, I don't like to complain about things without a solution. So if I was going to complain about cajons, I had an obligation to share how I solved it or at least make a suggestion uh, on a work in progress. Yeah, for sure. And and it was a brilliant, you know, little kit that you came up with. And I'm, you know, I'm going to say to all of our listeners, go 
go find that video. You'll understand what I'm talking about. Now, as is the tradition here on the drum shuffle, um, if you'll, you know, oblige me, tell us, you know, where you grew up and how you got into drumming to begin with. Do you come from a musical family? Uh, not at all, man. I, I came from, and I, I wonder if I attribute, uh, my, the, the musical lottery that I've won because almost as if it was a rebellion to what I grew up around. Um, I wonder if my parents had been musicians or something, maybe I would have rebelled against that and said, I'll show you guys, I'm going to be an accountant, man. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so I, it's in my nature and I, it's chicken or the egg for me. Um, man, I, I grew up down the road in Alabama. And, uh, so I grew up watching university of Alabama get whooped by Kentucky in basketball every winter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, football is a little different story but <laughs> you know we, we won't go there just quite yet <laughs> it's come and gone man but i you know i i formed my sense of self in the pre-saban era like there were who cares people don't listen to this for that but uh <laughs> look man everything is transient i feel this way about success in music too like alabama's winning right now just enjoy that while it's there because things come and go man like sandcastles um, agreed dude. So, uh, but that's the environment I grew up in. Like that's how people identify themselves. And, uh, I, I feel lucky that I wasn't any good at the things that are valued in Alabama. So I took solace in music, which was not a common activity. We don't have the rich history that you have of like bluegrass, you know, all my friends from Kentucky, they know like 200 bluegrass standards and it's in their <laughs> blood and it's beautiful, man. Yeah. Uh, all I got in my, well, anyway, so, uh, I, I have feel lucky that a couple of friends and I, we found our little punk rock corner to get together in and, and play music. And it was awful, but it brought me joy, man. So that's what made me play the drums. It wasn't that I was any good at it. It was that I loved it. I got you. Now, it, so did you start at a really young age? I mean, we, you know, for most of us, it's, I, I guess, pre-adolescence or adolescence that we really start getting into that stuff. So were you, you know, junior high when you first started begging for, for drums? Yeah, I, dude, I, I'm with you, Jamie. I like many of my favorite musicians, especially like Nashville natives that I know they all started, like they were just born into music. They started playing at age three or something and your neurons develop around that and you've become insane. I feel like it reflects in my playing a little bit. I have to try harder or something. I started playing drums at 13 um, saxophone was my gateway to that. That was age 12. But, you know, you go to church all the time and stuff growing up in Alabama. So you're, there's sheet music in the hymnals. They're singing all the time. I, no doubt I can, no doubt I owe my hearing to that, my ability to parse sound in a musical way to being around church and all that. But not not a formal activity for me until the day I turned 13. And I feel like Today is still later that day. I still feel like a 13-year-old that just discovered the drums, man. Yeah, yeah, ditto. I mean, I'm the same way. You know, I mean, I've been, I started, you know, 12 or 13, somewhere in there. I think I might have been, you know, just about to turn 13. But, you know, here we are, you know, gosh, 30 years later, and I am still like a child. You know, there's, there's nothing about drumming that doesn't excite me still to this day, which is such a wonderful gift, right? I mean... It's just, um, it's just part of my being, you know, 
And I, I think you're the same way. Now, being a fellow Southerner, you know, marching band is a big deal in the South. You know, when I have guests on from Canada or the Northeast, they're like, yeah, that's that's not really a thing up here. Were you did you do marching band and, and things like that? Man, by the time that institution was available to me, I had a I'm going to vaguely misuse the word scene. I had a scene of my own. Um, we didn't even sign up for band class, but we, we had our own little punk rock bands and stuff. So uh, I, it's almost like marching band felt too institutionalized to us. Now, in hindsight, boy, do I wish I had participated in that because oh, so many of my gifted friends here that are opening for me or I'm opening for them. They have these ridiculous marching chops that I envy so much. And I feel that I missed the vote, Jamie. <laughs> well, I I did as well. I mean, I, I think there's a parallel there. You know, it was, I was already playing in bands and, and thought I was good when I wasn't. But, you know, now I see somebody that can, you know, rip off, uh, you know, just pump, you know, paradiddles at like 200 BPM. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's not my thing. So, um, so I, I understand, but you did go to college for music. I, I, am I reading that right? Totally, man. Okay. So was it UAB? Do I have that right as well? Man. So, uh, I, I grew up in Birmingham. UAB was footsteps from my house. Uh, when I got out of high school, I'll give you a really condensed version of this story. Halfway through high school, I started spending the summers at Berkeley. And they have these summer programs where they kind of groom you to uh, become a full-time student there one day. And uh, you kind of compete against one another for these scholarships that eventually they're going to offer. And my life for a few years, the last couple of years of high school, was dedicated to getting the ultimate scholarship to Berkeley. And by the time I got it and was on stage shaking the president of the college's hand, I went... I knew where that was going. I'm age 18. I go, this means I'm going to be in practice rooms for eight hours a day for the rest of my life to be in the middle <laughs> of the pack here. Uh, and I, I basically got existentially freaked out and said, there's more to me than that. Not to mention the natural kind of small town pressures of, oh man, but I've been seeing the same girl for the last three years and she's staying in town. <laughs> so Pin it on whatever you want, man. People that grew up around me have different theories, but uh, basically out of fear, if you want to put all that around under the same umbrella of fear, I hung around. I stayed in Birmingham. I did attend classes at UAB. They were psychology classes, man. It was an attempt at a left turn. Uh, and I'm thankful because those were two of my least, or a year and a half, of easily the least favorite uh, period of my life. Um I didn't recognize myself. I don't remember playing drums during that time. I was still, uh, I was still teaching kids in the inner city that we don't have music education in Alabama. You know, they cut funding and the first thing you cut is the arts. So I was teaching drum lessons, sax lessons, trumpet lessons, violin lessons to kids in the inner city at that time. Um, but I wasn't, I wasn't breaking drums in half, uh, at that time. And so I, I lost sight of myself and, um, I, it's hazy to even think about that. It's hard for me to even remember who I was, who I was around, what I was saying, what I was thinking about. Um, and that's an important fog in my life because it makes me, uh, it makes me a lot more grateful for the inundation of music that I have in my life now. So that you probably didn't want 90 minutes on that. The, the answer is 
Yes, I went to, I attended UAB for a second, sort of, in that I was enrolled and didn't show up if anything to anything before <laughs> noon. Uh, and uh, boy, I, I think, I think by the year and a half mark, I just, I didn't even bother identifying as a student there. And I, I basically went back to Berkeley and said, well, you guys give me my deal back after all. So I, I made it to Berkeley by 2010 as an old man, basically. I think I was probably 21 by then, 22. Okay. So yeah. I, it, well, I, and it goes without saying, man, you know, I mean, I, I've just had so many Berkeley grads, you know, on this show to even get there to begin with, you know, scholarship or not, just to, for them to say, yes, you can come to school here. You got to know what you're doing. You know, I mean, you, <laughs> there's an audition to get in the school and, you know, that experience for, especially for drummers, you know, I, I'm not taking anything away from any other program, but if you just start going through the, the names of drummers that attended Berkeley and graduated from there, it is a literal who's who in the music world. I mean, that, you know, that is the oven that cooks, you know, (laughs) fully done drummers, right? Uh, It's an honor to slip through the cracks and get in there and be around those guys. (laughs) That's the value is being around the guys that you're talking about. Well, it's just such a, you know, wonderful school. And, you know, I I would be remiss if if I didn't ask at least about one of my all-time favorite drummers who probably by that time was teaching there. And that's the great Rod Morgenstein. Did you have Rod for anything? Rod, I would describe as a central reason for me going there. So once I got there, I basically didn't leave his office, man. Awesome. Yeah, of course. I mean, because he's the dude. He is truly the dude in capital bold letters. Yeah. And I know that you're also a big um, Carter Beaufort fan. Um, You know, who were some of the other influences for you as a drummer? I kept it simple coming up, which I, I benefited from and suffer from. Anytime everybody sits around and can name a hundred drummers, I've I've never been that deeply versed. Uh, I when iPods came out, this is kind of the reference point that I remember when iPods came out. Everybody was running around with them, going, "Look, I have a thousand songs from a thousand different artists, and I had a thousand songs too, but only from three artists." Um, <laughs> if that makes any sense, I had no width, I had depth, so I I wouldn't just have one Metallica album. I had all of them. That's bad news for a drummer, isn't it? Um, so, uh, I, the folks, there were basically, there were three posters on my wall, Carter Beaufort in the middle, Travis Barker to the right of him, Trey cool to the left of him. I, um, musically, I liked the pop punk thing, but Carter transcended it. Didn't the genre of his music didn't even matter to me. I felt that, uh, he just had a voice unto himself. I almost couldn't even hear the music going on around him. I was so cued into his drumming. And so diligent drummers at that time in their lives, when you're in that renaissance of learning how to play to drums, um, you know, the diligent drummers around us are listening to a million different drummers. And meanwhile, I was on DaveMatthewsBand.com refreshing the set list every night and every new song (laughs) they would play live. I'd run into my drum room and play that song and then run back to the computer. Now what song are they playing? And so I was trying to live his life at that time, man. So the result was I figured out kind of encyclopedically what that one drummer was doing 
with a side dish of some Travis Barker and some Trey Cool and some Lars. And I re- and you, maybe Red Hot Chili Peppers were in there. But that was it, man. I never... I could, if you had said Tony Williams, I would have said, who's that? And isn't, isn't that shameful? No, I mean, I I don't think it is. I mean, everybody gets to where they're going by a different route, you know, I mean, but as long as you get where you're going, it it doesn't matter to me. And I don't think it should matter to anybody. Um, you, You know, I mean, I grew up on Rod Morgenstein, Tommy Lee, Troy Lachetta, you know, I mean, that was what I was into. And those were my guys. And it was the same thing. You know, I wanted to know, God, what is that ghost note, you know, at two minutes and 18 seconds of, you know, track six? I mean, that was how obsessed I was. So, no, man, I don't think that's shameful at all. But, you know, as I got older and, and started getting in, you know, more bands and more musical situations, people would be like, man, you should really check this out. And, you know, I guess my horizons expanded after I figured out that there's more to to life than, you know, just what I had listened to up to that point, if that makes sense. Totally. And that would be the project I'm in the middle of right now, too. I'm trying to catch up for all that lost time and, and open the ears up here, man. Yeah, for sure. Well, so after Berkeley, did you immediately go to Nashville or did you go back home to Alabama first? Man, I once I left Alabama, I never set foot there again. Uh, <laughs> okay, okay that, fair enough. <laughs> that explains fair itself, enough. doesn't it? Um, it does. I, so I have to add to that that um, you know some of the people in the history of humanity that I respect the most are from Alabama and contributed greatly to my life. I hope that does not sound unappreciative of them. Um, but culturally, if you're going to live in Alabama, you have to deal with that and you have to let it be a part of you. And I didn't want that to be a part of me, man. Um, chiefly, I don't know. I can, I can leave that at that. So, uh, I, I would say a year and a half into Berkeley is when the band I had at the time signed its record deal. I had a choice, see the world with my friends for the first time or stay in school and hope that that opportunity were still there later. And Rod would be a great example of one of the many professors I approached with that situation. I go, what would you do? And Rod goes, you think the school is going anywhere, man? We'll be here. If it doesn't go well, <laughs> just come back, man. We're not going anywhere. Go, like go see the world. Uh, this yeah. is your moment. So, so I went, uh, I am, uh, I'm proudly a Berkeley dropout and a Berkeley graduate. <laughs> uh, the band went down in flames, uh, quicker than even the the most cynical would have betted. So I, I came back, I don't know, later in my 20s and, and finished. But in the meantime, I had been centered in London for a while with my band. And eventually we had a house in North Carolina where we operated our U.S. stuff out of. And um, that, that was like a little intermission to my Berkeley experience. And then I went back and then straight from Berkeley, like the the second chapter of Berkeley was like a regrouping. Okay, I don't want to be in a band anymore. How am I going to play the drums? I want to be handed a drum part and be told, keep your mouth shut and just play this exact drum part. Little did I know that was the definition of Nashville, right? I was taking <laughs> auditions everywhere. But the most compelling gig that I landed was in Nashville. So I said, okay, I'll go where the work is. And it's Nashville. I, I never expected to be here, but uh, here I am, man. Yeah, well, and and you're getting it done you know, uh, down in the music city and you're, um, I, how do I want to word this? 
you're very uh, self-deprecating in some of your content. You're like, you know, all the other drummers were busy, so I got to go do this session, you know, that kind of thing. But man, you, you're killing it down there. I mean, you're, uh, you know, how, I don't know, but you're doing a ton of sessions and you're playing with a ton of different artists. Um, you know, did you get busy fast when you got to Nashville? Uh, almost on a, on, on a level that I could not have expected. I, that was a really pleasant surprise, man. And may perhaps an uncommon tale. It, that's, it, that's what I would describe as winning the lottery. Uh, yeah. One major gift that I underestimated is I was, I was given a gig before I even set foot in Nashville. Um, and that even socially, that kind of gives you a platform to interact with other musicians here. Um, <clears throat> I even had, I even had some leeway to hire guys. So it, it helped me get meetings quicker with musicians that I liked because I had a budget. I could say, yo, I can give you 30 dates. Just let's, let's go to ML Rose and talk and figure out where you're at and if you're a good fit for this. Uh, and gosh, that felt like I got to skip the first five years where you more organically put those things together just through authentic hard work or something. Um, yeah. And the other part of it is at that point you're in the hands of the artists. So how well are they doing? That kind of dictates, uh, it, it almost dictates the size of the house you can live in. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> sure uh, I do. And, and we all know players that are, uh, there's, there's almost, Everybody who's working here is like super capable of all the gigs going around. There are better fits for certain things than others. But uh, I don't have the delusion at all that somehow I played the drums better than some of these guys that are still working at Pizza Hut right now. Um, I, it just oh, it just felt like luck, man. Yeah, well, it, there is a lot of luck in it, no doubt about it. But you have to be able to play as well. And, you know, I won't bemoan the fact, but I've said it on this show dozens of times. When you go to Nashville and order a cheeseburger at Applebee's, the guy that brings it to you is probably the best guitarist you've never heard of. I mean, <laughs> that's just the talent is everywhere down there. And what a lot of people don't realize is everybody lives in Nashville now. Like all the cats that used to be, you know, thought of as L.A. guys, they all live in Nashville now because the cost of living is so much less than L.A. Um, you know, I mean, I could go down a huge list, but, you know, there, everybody seems to be there. And you're staying really, really busy, you know, pandemic be damned, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, you, you've got a lot of stuff going on. So, you know, I know Low Cash, which, um, you know, Dave Parks is a great buddy of mine. He, you know, he played with them for some time. Um, I, I know that you're networked with Tom Hurst, who is another good friend of the show. Um, you're just really busy and, and plugged in. So I don't think it's all luck, Harry. I, th I think some of that is your talent, brother. Uh, thank you, man. There's plenty to go around. I, I, uh, you know, as many drummers as there are here, that, that freaks some people out. There's even more uh, singers with delusions of fame and fortune that need to hire us, man. So there's plenty to go around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure, man, for sure. Well, so talk to me a little bit about 
the decision to, um, you know, I don't want to accuse you of being a content creator. That's a fancy way of saying, you know, I make videos for people to watch. But talk to me a little bit about, you know, when did you decide to start, you know, kind of putting out some of those videos? Because there is a lot of people don't realize this. There's a huge skill set involved in putting together a good video, you know, to, to put on YouTube. There's a lot of editing time and all that sort of stuff. Was that a I, w- w- was there a financial consideration there or was it just a, hey, I have something to offer to other drummers. I'm going to try to put something out there. Cool. I, I love the spin that you have on that question. Um, I really don't let me don't let me neglect the financial motivation part because I I have something to say to you about that. It's kind of a recent revelation in my life and I have not said it on a mic yet. I don't want to let that go. But starting with the bigger picture, uh, this, this is not a left turn in the conversation at all. It fits right into all the other stuff we've been talking about. When I got here and the guy bringing me my hardware order from the Guitar Center warehouse or the guy serving me my food, all that, all these guys go... I'm trying to figure out what Nashville is, right? I had just moved here. And all these guys go, yeah, I just moved here too, you know, four or five years ago. Still looking for the gig, but I did just move here. And I'd go to all of them. I'd go, great. Where can I check you out, man? I, I want to hear you. Uh, and they'd go, ah, man, there was an open mic that I played at a few weeks ago. But I, I go, well, get, where can I listen to you or see you or hear you? Uh, oh, well, I'm, I don't know. I'm putting together a demo, but... Um, I don't want to upload it yet because it's kind of it's fuzzy. There was something wrong with the tape machine. These kinds of excuses. I go, how, how do you how do you sell what you what it looks like and sounds like for you to play the drums? Then I it almost put me into a panic of, man, I I have to definitively produce what it looks and sounds and feels like when I play the drums. And so that was a hundred percent of the motivation for me to. You know, I paid my friend Macy $30 to point a camera at me. She was Sarah Evans' touring videographer at that time. She came to the house and pointed a camera at me, and I just played songs that I liked and thought I sounded good on. Some of those videos are still sitting up. Uh, And I went, I'll never not have an answer to this question. This is exactly what it looks like and sounds like and feels like when I played the drums. That was 100% of the endeavor for me. Uh, The... The accidental circumstance that I stumbled into sideways from there is that those things in and of themselves found an audience, not with who I intended to aim them at, like guys that were going to hire me to play, but rather just fans of that kind of music or just, I don't know, the general culture of people on YouTube who like watching people playing the drums, if that makes any sense, huh? Oh, yeah. No, they're they're out there. They're out there. (laughs) Yeah. And I should have realized that more going in I because I I'm a guy that sits around watching YouTube now I don't watch music YouTube or drumming YouTube if you look at the front page of my suggestions it's like it's all like 80s basketball highlights and video game reviews <laughs> uh, but look there's a there's a uniting culture to all those things like basketball YouTubers have a common thread with drumming YouTubers have a common thread with video gaming YouTubers uh there's, there's a culture to that community. And as a viewer, I've been a part of that for a long time. I think that naturally kind of manifested itself in the videos I was making. Even even the way I'd talk to the camera, like very directly inspired by Zay Frank and the Vlog Brothers. Like it, 
it was not my drumming mind at all or, or, or any kind of entrepreneurial spirit even. It was, uh, it, it was almost a mindfulness of the idiom that I was putting these videos on. I go, YouTube is a community. YouTube is a neighborhood. So I will play the role of drummer in that community and I'll, I'll, I'll give my drumming message, but I'm also going to honor the way people talk to one another on this platform. And that got embraced. And as far as I'm concerned, was another winning of the lottery. Yeah. Well, and I think that's what separates you from, from other, you know, guys and girls out there. I mean, I, I think, let, let me back up for just a second. The whole premise of the drum shuffle podcast was when I started this and, and, you know, I, I make no money per se doing this. I just really enjoy it. And I get to talk to guys like Harry, right? I mean, but I wanted to come from, I want to understand what makes Harry the drummer that he is today. So where did he come from? How did his career progress and evolve over years? And I always say, if you want to know what Phil Harry is playing at three minutes of track nine of whatever album, that's what YouTube is for. And there are so many YouTubers that are like, Okay, now in measure 78, we're, you know, we're going to put the the ghost note on the E of three, right? And that stuff drives me bananas. You know, it's like I, some people need it and I get that, but they're talking like drum teachers. You know, you, your videos are not like that. You're like, what's up, dudes? You ask this, here's what it's about, right? Hmm. Wow. That, I feel it, so heard and seen by you, man. Well, yeah, man. And, you know, I've checked out a lot of your stuff and it's just, um, you know, especially, you know, you had a video about endorsements, you know, and I, I, that's one of the things that I get asked about more often than anything else is, you know, hey, man, you know, how do I get an endorsement with dream symbols? You know, how do I get an endorsement with Lost Cabos drumsticks? And I'm like, well, you know, play their stuff for years. <laughs> and then if you have something to bring to the table, apply, you know, that kind of thing. But you broke it down to look, you know, everybody divides up in these teams and, you know, I'm team Zildjian, your team Sabian, what, whatever the case may be. And it's all where, you know, art and, you know, commercial interests collide. And I thought that was such a great video. So now when people ask me about endorsements, I'm like, you should watch Harry's video <laughs> because wow. it explains it so well. Cool. What an honor, man. I, I can't I can't remember a single word I said in that video because it, it feels like such a long time ago. But what a great feeling to hear some of the sentiment back from you and agree with it. Go, yeah, that's how I feel about that stuff, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just... I think you are, um, you know, I've been accused of being a very conversational guy because that's what I do. You know, I have conversations with people and I, I don't want to ever sound preachy or, or come across weird. And I think you take that same approach. You approach putting out your content as though you were sitting at a table talking to me or any other drummer. And it's and it's good stuff. I think that's what resonates with people. Man. Uh, thank you. I, I have to, I have to constantly recalibrate what the feel, what I feel the feeling ought to be when we're watching YouTube videos, right? And uh, I, I felt 
every time I overhear, say, a loved one in the house watching a the master of knitting teach her how to knit on YouTube, uh, and the guy's so down to earth and relaxed, he's like, "Hey, man, we're knitting. This is a casual thing." I'm, uh, and yeah, I'm sh- I'm sure he bought a house in cash from how successful these videos are, but. <laughs> Deep down, regardless of how he feels about his videos, the feeling that he is uh, giving her as she's watching this knitting video is like, this is a cool, relaxing thing. I'm going to hold your hand through this and we're going to learn it. Uh, or, or we're just, we're going to have a casual one-on-one feeling in this room. It was a great reminder to me of like, ah, man, we don't have to set off fireworks every time we make a video. We don't, it doesn't have to be a Hollywood production. It just has to be sincere and uh, the info has to be welcome, man. It's got to be sought after useful information. Um, and, uh, it's, it's grounding to be reminded of that every now and then the, the higher you climb on the YouTube ladder, let's vaguely call it, the more you can, the more one can accidentally feel pressurized that, Hey man, this is your identity. Now, what will you do to top the last thing? We got to crush it. <laughs> I'll never forget. I'll get off the subject after I tell you this, man. It's a revelation that I want to trap in amber. Um, a few months ago, YouTube flew me to Mountain View where their headquarters is to give me like this play button that they carved out of silver that they give, I don't know, they give them to, they pick a, they pick some YouTubers every year to give some stuff to. And they had me at this thing and you go on, it, there's something very, I think intentionally on their part, Hollywood about this experience, you walk on their red carpet and you talk into people's microphones and you, you pose in front of the, uh, whatever that backdrop with all the sponsor logos is on it. And they give people this stuff. And I met through that so many, uh, YouTubers. I think you just said a second ago that you don't want to accuse me of being a content creator. I think what you were probably referring to is the people that I met at this, this thing. Um, these are the guys who upload on Monday and then by Monday night, they're in a pool of their own sweat going, oh man, I only have three more days till I have to make noise again uh, because sponsors, <laughs> yeah. because advertising, because clicks, because CPM, because impressions. And dude, there's some of the most stressed out people I've ever known. And I have noticed that because they're so successful at it, the mission statement has now become, uh, how can I continue to maximize or not lose what I got or just get even more clicks? It has become, I must force myself to figure out something to say instead of, I have something to say. Let's put it in a video and get it out there. Um, And you can't, you you have my phone number now. You must personally keep me accountable to this. If you ever see me in a hurry to make noise for the sake of noise and I I don't have something sincere to say, um, you got to beat it out of me, man. You got to call me in (laughs) and tell me it's over, dude. I I promise you, I will. and that, that was exactly what I was talking about. You know, I, people are like, uh, I, I don't know, you know, this podcast, w- trust me when I say this, I am no Joe Rogan, right? <laughs> I'm no Mark Marin, right? I, that's not what I'm about. But everybody's like, oh man, it must be, you know, so much pressure. And I'm like, no, not at all. You know, I mean, like right now, as we're speaking, you know, I take July and August off every year to hang out with my daughter who's home from high school. You know, I mean, that's just what I do. This is fun. I get to talk to, you know, Rod Morgenstein and and Marco Miniman and Harry Myrie. You you know what I'm saying? And it's like I, I put it out and some people like to listen to it. And if they don't like to listen to it, 
what have I lost? Nothing. You know, well, it shows I, in your work, man, that that's the relationship you have with this stuff. That's that's reflected in the the laid back feel that you have to your work, man. So I, I'm, I'm glad you feel that way, dude. Well, it's it's just all about for me, the drumming community. And, you know, um, I, th- this is not supposed to be about me. I'm talking about me too much. And this is supposed to be about you. But congratulations for getting that across in your content that you do create. Um, I guess I'm curious, have your videos being as popular as they are, I, you know, has that led to other opportunities? Have you gotten calls specifically, hey man, I saw you on YouTube, can you come do this record with me? That kind of thing. 1000%, uh, those two aspects of my life feel completely intertwined. Um, I did realize in recent years that the folks that know me through YouTube, I think maybe on some level have a concept that I'm just sitting in my basement all the time and every now and then I put out a video and that's like what my life revolves around. Um, it wasn't until I had to, I had to change the vector of my, uh, of the things that I make a little bit in recent years because I could tell people didn't realize that I was playing 160 shows on the road every year. (laughs) Right. Uh, And so, uh, I've been so relaxed for the past five days because I finally got out this kind of expose on what my life is actually like the majority of the year, what I'm out there doing, these venues that I'm in. Uh, and we call it, uh, we call it dude thoughts a day in the life of a road drummer. And, uh, I feel like it was finally an opportunity to communicate to that audience. Like, yo, this is what I'm up to. This is why you don't see stuff from me for year. What feels like years at a time sometimes. Um, but I also, I, on some spiritual level, and this is a, this addresses what you were actually asking me about. Um, I feel that one cannot exist without without the other. So um, I don't feel that I have a valid voice on YouTube if I'm not working. And also, uh, there's so much work that I've done with other musicians that I would not have had the opportunity to do if it if they didn't know me through those videos in the first place. The biggest gig of my life came from a tour manager watching me on YouTube the same day that they fired their drummer on a morning TV show. (laughs) And by dude, by noon, I was on an airplane, man. They didn't have time to do this whole evaluation of who do we know? Who can we call? It was like they, they had the concrete Like we talked about earlier, sound and feel and look in their hand right then they go do it, put the guy on a plane right now. Um, And it changed my life too. And, Absolutely, I wouldn't have played those gigs, met those guys, done that tour if it weren't for these dinky videos I was doing, man. So they are, to me, they are one and the same. Man, that's fantastic. And, and you know, you, the, it's such a good point. There are so many people that are like, oh, you know, I play, I write songs and like, oh, I'd love to hear it. Well, you know, I don't have anything right now. You know, I, I, I you know, whatever. If you're going to be in this business, you'd better be prepared to share yourself and put yourself out there. Otherwise, you know, if you're just kind of sitting around waiting for the phone to ring, probably not going to happen. Would you agree with that? Uh, Certainly, that's how I feel. I don't. uh, (laughs) There are other ways to charm yourself into gigs, man. But I uh, I'm not going to sit back and uh, I I don't have any delusion that I can outcompete people here on that. I. I. The, the endeavor to me is be like to be myself and to as 
accurately and and uh, uh, resonantly as I can, like really clearly identify and project who that is. And videos are what feels best to me. I I have friends in town that don't even own video cameras, and I'm so glad for them that they don't. There are a million other ways to skin that cat, right? What they do yeah. is they say yes to every gig. They're on Broadway sometimes eight hours in a night and a bunch of people get to see them play that way. And that's how they resonate. They're playing here and they get incredible work doing that. So many paths, but the the natural one for me certainly was making these videos, my man. Yeah, I hear you, brother. I hear you. Well, uh, a couple of other things that I want to get to. So, so we might take a little bit of a left turn here and I hate to be all over the radar with you, but you know, you have a very unique setup. You are, uh, you know, uh, you have an open-handed setup. Uh, and, and, you know, you've probably done a video on this. I don't know. But I, I would imagine you get asked about this a lot. Um, talk to me just briefly. What brought you to the open-handed setup? You know, it, it, it almost looks like a lefty's kit, but you're obviously a righty. So, you know, just the Reader's Digest version, if you would. Sure. Uh, I think the instinct to do that was in me before I even owned a set of drums. I, I remember the first formal time I sat down at a, at a drum set. Are you a righty, Jamie? I am. Okay, awesome. So I'm sitting down at your drum set. The hats are on the left. The rest of the stuff is on the right. And so naturally, before I was given any institutional uh, instruction, my left hand went to the hi-hat. My right hand went to everything else. And the dude who came up in formality went, ah, nah, that's not how we do it. You now will be indoctrinated with this too. And he physically <laughs> took my right hand and he crossed it over my left. And, you know, I proceeded to make my knuckles bleed because I'm hitting this and that. You can obviously chalk that up to bad technique, right? Because at least one million of the greatest drummers ever, all of whom I put much higher on the shelf than me, they managed to cross their hands over and make incredible, awesome music. So I don't doubt that that's worked for a lot of people. Um, it always felt like an uphill battle to me. And so by the time I was in high school, man, instead of paying attention in calculus, I went, man, these, tra these drum traditions, they come from so long ago that we didn't even have hydraulic hi-hats, man, but we have these things now. Uh, and I'm staring off into space going, I, I can use my dominant foot on the bass drum and my weak foot on the hi-hat, but still have my hats on the right. We have the technology for these things, man. It's just not, you know, tradition just outweighs the sense of that because these, these, uh, this infrastructure wasn't created in 2001, it was, you know, the drum, it was, it started with the low boy, man. Pa I'm yeah. probably getting this wrong, but like Papa Joe Jones, uh, splashing that thing with his left foot just as a, why not? I, my left foot doesn't have anything else to do anyway. Um, so I understand how the momentum of tradition got us to where we're at, but I, I don't know, man, the anarchist in me went, I have a better shot at feeling comfortable on the drums if I just move those hats on over. And I thought, man, this is going to be complicated and it's not going to work and I'm going to fall on my face, but at least I won't lose sleep over whether I tried it or not. <laughs> and as soon as I tried it, dude, I, I swear to you, it was instant. I went, I will, I'll never cross my hands again if I don't have to. Of course, sometimes I do. I play backline kits. I still have that vague, we're going to put it in italics or with an asterisk. I still have that vague ability to, um, 
cross over my hands, but that's, that's not where I feel great. Um, the scary part of course has been people check that out and they, people send me pictures online and stuff. They go, look, I did it too. And part of me is like, oh good. There's some universal sense to this. And the other part of me is like, oh no, there's like a dartboard with my face on it in every (laughs) drum teacher's private studio across the world. And I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do this. Well, I mean, that's that's funny, uh, first of all, but I doubt that's the case. I mean, I, it, you know, I mean, I can draw a correlation in my brain back to Carter, right? Because he's a phenomenal open hand player. You know, I mean, he's been doing it for years and years and years. So I would imagine that influence crept in a little bit. Uh, let's let's get rid of the little bit. I OK. Uh, no doubt. This connects really well to the conversation you've weaved here. So we talked earlier about how basically the definition of drumming, the whole book, as far as I was concerned, was written by Carter, right? And one of his really unique gifts is that uh, all his timekeeping is on one side, his hats, his various ride symbols that he has, and all the rest of the goodies are on the other side, and he plays them open. And so that's why when you hear these Dave records that he's on, you're like, Dude, nobody sounds like that. Nobody's phrasing things like that. I, nobody has that mobility that he has, that like super tasty ability to integrate toms as commentary while keeping this continuous groove with the other side of his body. It's like awesome. And that's that's what I thought the language of drumming was. And that's the language I wanted to speak. So you do not underestimate it at all, man. He's, he's uh, he, without him, who knows, uh, I'd, maybe I would be crossing my hands over almost certainly, man. I owe him a lot of that. Okay. Awesome. Well, I, so if, for those of you guys that don't know what I'm talking about, go, go check out Harry's webpage. You, you, you'll see, uh, just trust me. And it's, uh, it's unique. I, I will give you that. It is very unique and you do it very well. Um, I would be remiss, you know, if I didn't ask, you know, we've, we've established how busy you've been Obviously, the brakes are, you know, locked up right now. Um, nothing is moving. Nothing is rolling because of coronavirus. So what are you doing to fill your time? I'm assuming there's probably still some sessions going on, but, you know, the 160 nights a year on the road, that that certainly isn't happening. Agreed, man. I, I actually... Yeah, that's well said. I would say the the live shows are really the only thing that the breaks are locked up on. Um, I've noticed a really clear influx of, can you play on my record from your house um, in my life this year? I, I think I've played on more records this year from my house already than the rest of my life combined. Uh, I, it makes me feel like actually there's more recording going on right now, not less. Uh, yeah. So... I'm, I'm certainly banging my head against the wall on that stuff right now. Cause you know, it kind of puts a responsibility on all of us to really figure out how to get good sounds here, man. And, um, (laughs) that is a, that is easily the most mysterious musical journey of my life, man. It's like, why can I play these exact drums in an amazing recording studio and they sound crushing. They sound so good. But if I'm here left to my own devices, Oof, I, there's a there's a big go, there's a big knowledge gap between me and that sound right now. But I've spent so much of my time uh, under those kind of stakes, you know, getting play getting paid to play on other people's things. 
and uh, trying to embrace the challenge of bridging that gap as best as I can, which some guys are amazing at. Aaron Sterling is an icon at that. And the rest of us suddenly are going, oh, teach me. <laughs> this is how we should have spent more of our time. Uh, so that's been big. I've also been able to, it's still, today is still like March 15 as far as I'm concerned. It's just been one long laundry day of trying to unneglect all the things in my life that I've been so neglectful of because for years I just haven't been home, dude. I, uh, there, there's crap collecting on the roof of my house. I, maybe I mean that metaphorically, but I definitely mean it literally. Uh, yeah. Et cetera. Yeah, I, you know what I mean? Uh, not to mention, dude, I've released five videos this year, which I think is also probably a personal record. Those things take me a while and I can't get them done as quickly when I'm on the road. Yeah, well, yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, I want to go back to just to, to say this, you know, when you do a video that is of the caliber of yours, there's hours and hours and hours of editing time that people don't, don't understand. You, you know what I mean? It's so, um, so, so yeah, it's hard to do from, you know, the, the, I, I don't know, the, the Hampton Inn and Bismarck or, or whatever the case may be. It's, it, it's way more difficult. Um, I, so with, you know, with the live shows, you know, having a, a you know, a, a break in the live shows, you know, you're, you're playing on a lot of records. What's, what's next for you? I mean, do you, are you, I, I, I'm doing a very poor job of getting this question out, but are you, you know, setting something up for down the road when something finally does uh, you know, start happening again, or are you just kind of, you know, taking it as it, as it comes? Yeah. So I, I dig your question, man. Um, I've noticed, okay, so we're all creative types, right? We're all musical people and we're used to clanging those symbols together and we're used to hearing applause back for whatever reason, man, when this started, I went, I actually felt like my life before this year was maybe those slow motion last couple of seconds right before you're in a horrible car crash. Um, I, the feeling I've had since March of this year is I'm kind of looking behind me and going, wow, I just narrowly avoided like a very brutal car wreck, very uh, narrowly almost because the universe made me just sit here and just quit going at the speed that I was going. Um, so I feel lucky for that. Uh, my instinct has been to honor the silence. I know I, because all of us are creative types. Yes. A lot of people called me in the first week or two and they said, you'll never believe it. I wrote a quarantine song. Why don't you play drums on the quarantine song? <laughs> and my instinct with these things is to swim the other way. All these artists are being called by their labels. Hey man, you got to do a live stream today. And then tomorrow we're going to do a live stream for Jim Beam. And then, then it, yeah. Yeah. And there was such inundation with that so immediately. And I went, yeah, I, I understand from a human nature standpoint why we're doing that because we're so uncomfortable being told to sit here and be quiet for a second. We're noisemakers. Uh, but I took it as a signal that I need to sit here and like honor the silence, if that makes any sense. So I've tried to do my best to do that. If anything, some days I'm still so immersed in these things that I'm trying to unneglect, like the sounds I'm getting at home, for example, things I can't dedicate this kind of time to when I'm touring. I Some days, honestly, I wake up going, okay, I recognize this is a period of massive suffering for a lot of people, but you know, if it has to go two more months and that gives me two more months to like tie some of these loose ends, man, and 
get some of these things straight in my life. Like I will put it to use, man. I will sit here and milk as much uh, nutrient as I can out of this fruit. And then, man, when it's time to go out there and make noise and sweat on people again, I bet that I'll have like a great appreciation for that too. But I spend no time presently like feeling absorbed in that, man. I my My goal, as far as I'm concerned, is to live in this moment. Yeah. Well, and I think that's a great approach. And, and, you know, when all of this does end and it will eventually, and we're closer to the end now than we were on March 15th, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, um, when this does end, everybody, and I mean everybody, bands that you haven't heard of for 20 years, everybody's going to have a record out, (laughs) you know? So, it, the, the, you know, you think there's an ocean of new material, you know, three months ago, just wait till this is over. I, you know, it's going to be a very saturated market in my estimation. I could be wrong, but you know, everything that I read from everybody is, yeah, we're in the studio right now. We're making a record, you know? So <laughs> we'll, yeah. we'll see, you know, there's going to be a lot of tours and, you know, um, I, I don't know, man. I I think people will be lined up to get into movie theaters as well and sporting events and all those things. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, let's let's hope that comes sooner rather than later. Agreed, man. I I chiefly feel that every day because, oh, I just, dude, I I feel so bad that, man, there there are hardworking musicians sitting in their house right now and they can't work. They can't do their thing that they do. And this affects their families and all that, that like, that's the thing I'm so eager to, I don't need any more attention. I don't feel it on my own behalf. I just, Oh, I, I just want the suffering to stop for people, man. So uh, I'm with you. What kind of elation is that going to be when fans can get back on the front rail and wait and the uh, wait out on the pavement for seven hours. And then they get to see whoever their favorite band or musician is like, come on, man, they're going to love that. And the musicians are going to love that. I, I am stoked for the, the euphoria on the other side of all this, man. Well said. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, listen, I, you know, I want to be respectful of your time. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, as is our tradition, you know, I, I feel like the whole episode has been great advice, but you know, we always ask our guests for a good piece of advice for, you know, other musicians, other drummers, um, share with us a good piece of advice that, that you think everybody should incorporate in their day-to-day lives. Nice. Yeah. So as a listener of your show, I did know that this was tradition and I knew this moment was coming and I've been fidgety about it because boy, am I so afraid to give advice as someone who <laughs> identifies as a very clueless person. I've been, I've gone, Oh, I don't want to be asked that. What am I going to say? Um, I like one of my points of view on this as a subject in general is that I know for sure I came up in a, I came up in an environment where there was like not only pressure to succeed maybe, but also kind of this mentality that if success is an Island and some of us get to it, there's, there's a human instinct almost to get to that Island and go, look how good of a sailor I am. Check that out. Uh, but I wonder, man, if ultimately like, it's on us, of course, to set sail in the first place. But then ultimately, I wonder if it is the random chaos of the seas that gets us to that island or not. Um, so anytime I think I'm there, I go like, 
I maybe can acknowledge that, yeah, I and we all have to set sail to do that. But I, oh boy, I'm I'm scared to uh, I'm scared to own too much any of the rest of those uh, dynamics. Um, so I, the the best thing I can, if that makes any sense, it does. It okay. does. So the best kind of most grounding thing I can think to say to you right now is um, if advice is one size fits all, uh, I, then the rest of us, man, we got to decide what applies to us and what doesn't. I, you know, some great musicians are going to say, take every gig other musicians. I, I don't know. I, to that might, for example, say like, wow, I'm thankful for some of the gigs I said no to. Uh, because that gave me <laughs> right. That gave me time to like make the videos that ended up making a bigger impact in my life. So, oof. I guess if I had to give a piece of advice, it would it would it would be the trite cliche: know thyself and know what advice applies to you and what doesn't. Ah, oh, and I hate the sound of that coming out of my voice because, uh, gosh, that's so vague. That sounds like such an escape, such a cop out from your very cool, very sincere question, but there's all of my psychosis on advice right there for you to uh, deal with now. No, man, I, th I think that's good, you know, because, you know, I, I've done, gosh, I don't know, 110, 115 episodes of this thing. And I, I agree, you know, some guys have given a piece of advice that I'm like, boy, I sure wouldn't take that. You, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, I wouldn't apply that to me, mm -hmm. um, you, you know. And that's not to take anything away from any guest that I've ever had. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that, you know, uh, learn all your rudiments, know them forwards, backwards, upside down, sideways. Well, yeah, I could spend the next two years, you know, getting all those chops worked up. It's not going to make any difference for me, honestly, right? It's not the difference between me being the next drummer of Van Halen or not, you know, some ships have already sailed for a guy 43 years old. I mean, that's just a fact. So, you know, I think that's really good advice, Harry, to say some things that people who have, you know, had a level of success will tell you you should do. Some of it's good. Some of it, not so much. Understand what applies to you. And my God, that's, you know, half the battle. So good piece of advice, I think. Nice. You make it sound so eloquent. Um, I, and I'm glad that's a tradition on your show, man. Cause I, you know, I understand that people listen to this thing knowing that they get a hundred, they get the gift of access to 115 different perspectives. Um, and of course the truth is nuanced, right? The truth has contradictions all through it. So, uh, people are savvy enough to pick up on that. Uh, and that's part of the gift, man. That's very cool. Uh, I have to say, I have to shoe this in here. Um, I, there's more that I want to say about your show on the air than we're going to have time for because I respect your time too, man. But I've heard you had Mark Poise on twice. And indeed, I know, I know the last time you had him on, he was being so cool and confidential about all these people that come to him for advice. And it can almost sound, you know, like he has this ethical obligation to talk about it that way. And that can almost make it sound so theoretical that you go, if you don't know him or you're a skeptical person, you go, really? So I just want to add some weight to what he's saying and raise my hand right now on your show and go, I am one of the people that pesters Mark for his sage advice all the time. And it started his drumming advice. 
but now we never talk about the drums, man. I go, I go to him on like way more spiritual or what he would call personal development levels. So, um, I, you guys have talked about him on your show recently. I just want to echo like what a Sifu he is and what a great influence on my life he's been and how cool it is that he's embracing that ability that he has to coach folks. So I'm going to echo your check him out on that. Man, that's so awesome of you to say that. And, you know, Mark is one of those guys, you know, um, you know, I just can't say enough good things about him. You know, I mean, I, he, he feels like family to me and, you know, we've only been in the same room together like three times, you know what I'm saying? But he's Mm -hmm. just like, he's like a brother, you know, and just so kind and, and giving. And, you know, I, I, tried to plug that for him in that, you know, he was like, I don't know if I want to talk about, I was like, no, man, seriously, come on the show and talk about it. You know, let's, let's get it out there. Um, so it's so cool of you to say that and everybody needs somebody they can go to and go, man, I'm not sure about this. You know, I help me put this in perspective. So kudos to you for saying so. Uh, dude, well, thanks for shedding light on him. Cause I, I agree. I, he's totally the way that you describe. He's like, Oh man, but I look at all these charlatans. I don't, I don't want to like even seem like them because that's such a uh, travesty to the cause. So it's on me and you to like shout the good word about him, man. So thank you. Yeah. Well, and shout out to whatever diet and weight regimen he's on as well, because <laughs> The guy looks like, uh, you know, Schwarzenegger circa the Conan, the barbarian uh, (laughs) era. I mean, the dude is just insane and such a great drummer. So thanks for saying so, man. Mm -hmm. Um, Listen, you are welcome here anytime, Harry. Um, And I mean that sincerely. When life starts getting back to normal, um, you know, I know you've got a lot of stuff going on, but anytime you have a new project going on that you want to share with the folks, open door invitation, all you got to do is say the word and we will have you back anytime, my friend. Awesome, dude. Uh, We'll do it again tomorrow. Thank you. (laughs) All right, brother. I'll talk to you soon. Good, Jamie. Till then, dude. All right. See you. All right, guys and girls, that's going to wrap up episode 111 of the Drum Shuffle podcast. As always, I thank you sincerely from the bottom of my heart for tuning in and listening. Uh, We simply cannot do this show without each and every one of you doing so week in and week out. If you want to help out the Drum Shuffle podcast, the biggest thing you can do, share a link with a friend. I will ask, as I always do, give us a thumbs up, a star rating, a review on whatever platform you use to listen to the drum shuffle. It helps us more than you'll ever know. A million and one thanks go to Harry Myrie, the dude, for coming on the show. It was great. We're going to have Harry back. Um, I, I would absolutely love to have him back on the show. Uh, and as he jokingly said there at the end, uh, you know, we'll do it again tomorrow. So hopefully it won't be uh, too long before we can get Harry back to continue that fantastic conversation. Go ahead and hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're using to listen to the podcast. We have a ton of great guests coming up next week. I'm going to be joined by the just legendary and the incredible Danny Gottlieb, um, another just fantastic drummer, a great interview. Uh, we talked about almost everything encompassing Danny's entire career, and he has a, a great new record out 
uh, that we talk about in depth. So you're not going to want to miss that. So hit that subscribe button. Uh, as always, we answer every single email that we get here at the podcast. Our email address is the drum shuffle podcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can find more information about me over at jamieeds.com. And the drum shuffles web address is the drumshuffle.com. Please share that with a friend. It helps us more than you'll ever know. Uh, one last quick reminder, if you haven't been over to the new and improved ghostnote.net, hit that drum forum up, join us over there for some hilarious conversations uh, and, and just some master craftsmen that build amazing, amazing drums. Ghostnote.net, uh, we'd love to see you over there as well. So until next time, may your heads stay strong and your sticks never break. Cheers, everybody.